Don't you remember I'm your baby girl? How could you throw me right out of your world? So young when the pain had begun, now forever afraid of being in love. For the love of a daughter, Demi Lovato. On a girl who loved her dad more than anything in the world. And I mean so, so much. I was the wide-eyed girl who looked up to her dad like, like he was everything under the sun. He was who I wanted to be one day. I loved singing with him in the car. I loved when he danced in the car to the song Jump by House of Pain. I loved going to the racetrack with him. There are very limited good memories I have of my dad, and most come before the age of 10. Most of the memories that come after are of me, like, crying out for him to love me. Look, Dad, I'm just like you. Look what I can do, too. I'm just jumping right in here. I know a lot of this might be difficult to hear, or even maybe just, like, imagine it as I'm talking about it, so if you have to skip this episode... I still love and appreciate your existence. (laughs) For anyone who is still listening, maybe you'll feel for your dad too. So I encourage you to feel what you need to feel. Cry when you need to cry. Miss him when you need to miss him. This is a safe place for you to feel any emotion that you may have. We'll get through this one together, okay? (laughs) But yeah, I loved my dad. This is always a sad time of the year for me anyways, because Father's Day is this Sunday. Okay, well, I mean, by the time you're listening to this, it's July already, but whatever. Father's Day. You just... You can't escape it. You have to see dads everywhere. Commercials, billboards on the side of the road, everyone posting on social media about how amazing their dads are, and you just... You feel so sad because you don't get to post about yours. You don't get to celebrate yours. It's almost like a day of mourning, almost, where you have to be constantly reminded that your dad is not the dad that everybody else has, so... Yay! (laughs) Great! (laughs) It's one of those days that I've kind of learned to distance myself from, you know? For a few years, I think I tried to prepare myself for it, and, like, no matter how prepared I thought I was, it wouldn't be nearly enough preparation. That day sucks. Father's Day sucks. It's, I went around like work and I was like, oh, my favorite holiday of the year is coming up. (laughs) My coworkers are like, oh my God, Taylor, don't say that. Okay. So a lot of people know this part of my story already. I grew up with an abusive father. I left his house when I was 16. I got really into drugs. I made a lot of bad choices afterwards. I pretty much It makes me sick to talk about it now because I'm just like, blah, blah, blah. Yes, we all know this. I've talked about it 
ad nauseum. And every time, it kind of gets a little easier. You know, like the very first time I ever told anybody, I was like having a mental breakdown, crying, and now I'm just like, oh yeah, he, you know, beat me and whatever. <laughs> That's not something I should be laughing about, sorry. But like, now it's like not as big of a deal to me. Like, it is, because like, it's part of me and it's part of what made me me. But at the same time, it's almost like, that's not what I'm holding on to anymore. It's not like, that's what I define my life by. Does that make any sense? Like, now I'm like, oh, I'm somebody else and I don't have to start with that, you know? Like, I don't have to meet people and be like, oh, by the way, my dad was abusive. Like, <laughs> just by the way. Like, it's kind of like something I forget to talk about sometimes. But at the same time, it has shaped me into a different person and has, like, it, I don't know if I'm saying any of this right. Just, like, it, because of it, I look at things different ways and I deal with certain things different ways. It's because it's trauma. Like, that's it. I, anyways, all that to say, I promise the more that you talk about it, the easier and easier it becomes. Maybe you have something life-shattering like this in your life and you think that you could never tell anybody about it and you'll never be able to talk about it without crying or without, like, breaking down, but I I don't know how to tell you this. Just, like, I, you have to trust me. It gets easier, and I promise that it does. So here goes another try of lifting it off of our chest and making it a little bit easier for us. I've always been asked... How did you love someone who abused you? That doesn't make any sense. The answer is actually kind of simple. One, because he was my father, the only father I had ever known. And two, when you grow up in that kind of environment, you don't necessarily understand that there's abuse going on. You kind of just think, oh, it's like this for everyone. This is how everyone's father is. This is how it's supposed to be. Everyone's dad acts like this. Everyone's dad screams like this. Everyone's dad throws dishes at you. You know. It wasn't until I was in third grade that I started to question everything about the life I had always known. And I don't know why I measure everything by what grade I was in. I That's something I've always done. Like, what age are you in third grade anyways? Nine? Ten? Are you like seven in second grade and then eight in third grade? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I really need a fact check. Monica Padman, um, I need you, girl. Please help me out. <laughs> so, anyway, I was in third grade. I had just had a birthday, and we're not about to take another ten minutes to try and figure out what age that was. <laughs> like, what age was I when I entered third grade versus what age I was when I turned whatever... We're not even going to go there. Okay, so anyways, someone had given me a pink acoustic guitar as a present, and I hope nobody's making fun of me for the way that I say acoustic, because I've heard that it's wrong. Acoustic. There we go. Someone had given me a pink acoustic guitar as a present. There we go. Well, so this one day, my grandpa just showed up at our house. For any of you normal families out there, you may be like, oh, yeah, okay, cool, your grandpa showed up, but, like, <laughs> this doesn't seem weird to you. But for me, this was completely different. 
my grandpa, my dad's dad. He hadn't been around, so I didn't really know much about him. I knew that he was tall. He was a tall glass of water. I knew he had horses at his house. Um, I knew he lived in the country somewhere way out in BFE. I knew he had like a ranch, kind of, or like not really a ranch, just like, yeah, whatever. And, <laughs> and I knew he was somewhat of like a country singer. Obviously not too famous or anything, because, you know, you would know him, but we had like his CDs at our house. I remember one memory with him that I can remember, <laughs> which was going to his house way out in BFE, country road, wherever, and we rode his horses, which is why me, my sister, and my cousins all referred to him as Grandpa with the horses. That's such a long name to say. Like, we still refer to him as that today, though. He got one name off of one memory, if that tells you how often he came around. This wasn't, like, news, though. He hadn't been around much in my dad's life, either. The problem with a dysfunctional family like mine is that no one ever talks about anything. I had to find out a lot of my family history from my mom after their divorce. So from what I gathered over the years, my dad's dad was pretty absent in his life, in and out from a really young age. He had like a lot of affairs with a lot of different women while married to his mom. He was an alcoholic. So we see where my addictive personality runs from. <laughs> you ever find the source of something like that? So like, okay, so I'm really good at directions. I can go somewhere once and I know how to get there for the rest of my life without using GPS. It's, it's a true gift actually. But, um, one that stems from my dad. So I'm always like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for this gift of directions. It's one of the few good things I got from you. <laughs> so with my grandpa, it's like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for this. Thank you so much for this amazing present. I love being an addict. <laughs> oh my god, I cried myself. I'm sorry. Nobody's laughing right now. It's just me. <laughs> but yeah, so my grandpa... Gosh, sorry. My grandpa couldn't really, like, show up to love my dad in the way that he should have been loved. My grandma... My grandma whole different story. She was an orphan who was mentally and emotionally abused, who went on to do the same to her kids. Controlling, strict, forcing you to fit into these boxes and labels until one day you just give in and become whatever she wants you to be. She brought her trauma onto her kids, hence the cycle of abuse begins. Hurt people hurt people. So this day, my grandpa shows up, we're all like, hey, what, what's going on? What are you doing here? Um, he tunes my new guitar that I got, my acoustic, 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 right? Acoustic, whatever. My guitar. We don't have to specify what kind of guitar it was. My guitar. He plays me one of his songs, which I actually can't hear without crying anymore because it's sad. Um... Later on that day, I guess I had gone off to the playroom or something, and then I had snuck into the kitchen while they were supposed to be having adult conversations. I wasn't supposed to see this, but my grandpa had his shirt pulled up. He was showing my mom and dad how skinny he had gotten, and I mean like 
to the bone, so skinny. I could see his ribs as if his skin was just, like, paper thin. Only bones and, like, veins. He went on to tell them that he was dying. It was the last full memory I had of him. I don't have any memories with him after that. I just have, like, these small little snippet memories of, like, my dad yelling on the phone or telling my mom, oh, now he's dying. He just wants me to come around when he couldn't bother to do it my whole life. Which leads me to the turning point where my dad changed. This day, we were visiting his mom's new house. Okay, so, like, for reference... My grandma remarried after him. My uncle and his two daughters lived with them. So my uncle, my cousins, my grandma, my other grandpa, all under one roof. So they needed like a lot of room and they had like two dogs too. They were building a really nice and big house in a nice part of town. We were meeting them there to see the progress of the house and then go and eat or something. We had plans that day, something to do. So while we waited for them to get there, Amber and I wanted to play on, like, the construction site of the house. They were about to pour the concrete, so they had this grid of rebar ready, like the ones that they make before they pour concrete. Yeah, okay, cool. I think you can figure out where this is going. Crocs. Shout out to Crocs. were a huge thing back then, and all of my family members loved them. We all wore them. We all had, like, five different pairs of them. No offense to Crocs or anything, but I haven't worn them since. I had just finished running over to Amber when I felt wetness, water in my shoe. So I walked back down to the car on the street, took off my shoe, and there was just blood everywhere. And of course, imagine being my mom and just looking down and seeing that your child's foot is just bleeding everywhere. The funny thing is, my grandma, my uncle, and my cousins, my grandpa, they had all just pulled up too. So then they all saw the blood and Amber screaming and me crying and my mom wrapping my foot with her white hoodie. So then my dad jumped in the car and rushed us to the emergency room. Basically, what had happened was... What had happened was, while we were playing up there on the construction site with all the rebar, and when I went to run to Amber, a loose end of oh, a loose end of rebar had gone through a hole in the Crocs I was wearing. It went in between my big toe and that second toe, like in that space between them. It went in sideways five inches. And then when I moved my foot to, like, run, and it just came right out the exact way it had went in. My whole foot goes numb just thinking about it. But this is important to the story, though, because we had to sit in the ER all day. Or at least it felt like it was all day long. I'm lucky as fuck, though, because I didn't feel it go in. I didn't feel it come out. And it didn't hit anything. And I didn't even have to get stitches. I don't know how that happens, and I don't know how that rebar went in. Like, without me knowing, you would think that if that giant thing of whatever it's made of, metal, rebar, whatever, 
you would think that you would feel that go into you, but I didn't. I was just playing around and moved my foot the wrong way and it went five inches in. Like it had to be me like shoving my foot onto it. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. Um, sorry Crocs, but <laughs> I won't be wearing your shoes for the rest of my life. Um, just. Uh, really, it's a PTSD response. The same one I get when I see rebar. I can't even look at it without oh, my whole body going numb. All that to say that we were we were in the ER waiting for my x-ray to come back because they wanted to make sure that it didn't hit anything. My grandpa was in the VA hospital and my dad's phone kept ringing. Somebody trying to tell him like, hey, this is it. You need to be here or you're going to miss it. And he didn't have, he doesn't have much time left. So they were calling him and calling him and calling him, but my dad wanted to be with me. I'm sure there were other factors like the resentment of him wanting to show up while he was dying, but never before then. The next morning, my dad got another call and it was to tell him that his dad was gone. It was the first and only time I had ever seen him cry. But that's when everything started to change. He was never the same, and part of me... Part of me sometimes thinks that the reason he was the way he was with me is because he didn't get to say goodbye to his dad because he was with me. I know that that sounds, like, really naive, but for a long time I had convinced myself that it was true. When he started yelling at me more, I told myself it was because he made the wrong choice. He should have been with his dad instead of me. When he would throw me out of bar stools, I told myself I deserved it because if I hadn't been in the ER that day, maybe he would have been able to say goodbye to his dad. I justified everything that he did by telling myself, it's your fault. No wonder he doesn't love you. He didn't want me. He wanted his dad and it felt like I took that away from him. I don't blame my dad for who he is based on the circumstances that made him that way. Everyone failed him. That's, that's not his fault. But he could have chosen to be better. He could have chosen to get help, go to therapy, but he didn't. He chose to be bitter. He chose to be angry. He chose to continue the cycle rather than break it. And that is his fault. This starts to parallel with last week's episode a little bit because that fight between him and my mom that I say is like the turning point in the way I viewed him, it was the first time I can remember him getting actually physical with my mom. It was the first time I had ever looked at my sister and recognized her as a human being with her own feelings and emotions. When I tell you that it's an image I'll never get out of my head, I absolutely, that's what I mean. I, I flash back to everything I was thinking that night and just, just knowing that no matter what, I needed to protect her as she cried for our mom. I needed to protect her forever. Then when my mom went to jail, it felt like more of a survival game than a home. Like we were living in the actual Hunger Games or something. I had it in my head the perfect plan to make sure that Amber and I would survive. 
if we could just be perfect in this and perfect at that and not breathe on the count of three, everything would be okay. I felt so much responsibility on my shoulders, and I grew up fast because of it. Like I said last week, my dad, my dad was never the caretaker. He had no idea what the fuck to do with just us full time while he worked. I mean, he fed us Whataburger every night for dinner and then took us to basketball practice. I mean, what more is there, right? I still loved him, you know? I loved him. He's my dad. And I just wanted him to love me back. I used to actually pretend that I didn't know how to tie my basketball shoes so that he would do it for me. Like, for some reason, I just thought it would be the closest thing to love I could get from him at the time. So I played stupid. And of course, he was always like, are you fucking serious? You need to learn how to tie your own damn shoes. But he would bend down and tie them for me anyways. And for a small, microscopic second, I felt a pinch of love from my dad for tying my basketball shoes. Like, how insane does that sound? It, it was what I could get at the time, so it's what I took. He had a thing with girls. When he and my mom first split, he dated a girl he claimed he had been talking to since before my mom. And after that, he dated another girl, said the same thing about, I have had my eyes on her since before that first girl. Always a new girl, always the same line. It didn't surprise me much, though. I'm sure he was talking to a plethora of girls. The curious um, child in me peeped onto his computer without him looking one time, and I found loads and loads of just naked pictures of girls and porn and things that no kid should ever have to see at that age. These women he dated were so kind and caring towards us, which was such just a relief. I found it strange that there were naked pictures of them on his computer because I felt protected by his girlfriends. We got attached, we started to love them, and then our dad would tell us we couldn't talk to them anymore. We kept losing one after another after another. One in particular hurt the most. She had the whole mothering thing down by then. She made home-cooked meals, she did our hair, and she got us cute clothes. She was a lawyer who had so much money and skill sets in whatever she did. We were thinking that maybe things could possibly be okay again. She bought our dad a car. She traveled to see us. She had deep and meaningful conversations with us about things that really mattered, like really mattered. They were engaged and planning their wedding when one day our dad just told us we couldn't contact her anymore. He cut us off from her with no warning. She was just gone. My protection was gone again. I was tired of losing people. It felt like my whole life had just been one loss after another, after another, after another loss. No one to protect me. So I did what I knew best, which was protecting Amber. Amber and I were home alone like 90% of the time. I made her food. I picked out her clothes. I made sure she brushed her teeth and washed her hair, that she did her homework, because it felt like he was always gone, you know? I channeled all of the women I knew to be strong. My mom, my aunts, my dad's girlfriends. 
I wanted to protect Amber like they knew how to. I was a kid. I didn't have any money. <laughs> the only food I knew how to make was like ramen noodles and sandwiches. But I mean, that's what I could do. So that's what I did. I traded spots with my mom, the protector, to protect Amber. And just like how it was with my mom, all of a sudden, when he was mad, it was taken out on me. This is around the time that he joined a car club. So he would take us to these meets and to these car shows. We'd sit for hours and hours and hours, two hours away from home, really late at night. We learned how to fall asleep in booths at the bars he would take us to on school nights. At these car shows, he met this woman who was closer in age to me than to him and who would eventually go on to be our stepmom. Of course, just like with the ones before her, he said, oh, I've been talking to her since before so-and-so. In my head, I knew that meant he had naked pictures of her on his computer. <laughs> this was really the time that he felt just gone. Because he would go out with her for hours. One time, he actually left us in his car while he went with her until really late or, I guess, early in the morning. Or that time we were with him, he took us with. They got really drunk and then raced each other down the Dallas North Tollway with us in the car. I talked about in my first episode how I could just close my eyes and write myself away. I found myself doing that a lot back then. Their cars were at least topping over a hundred miles an hour and I just closed my eyes. I closed my eyes and I envisioned that same dream I've had for years. A door opens and I'm in a red dress on a red carpet. People are cheering and taking pictures of me. It's a movie premiere for my movie, my movie. One that I wrote. One that I made. And I'm smiling because... Because I made it. Despite everything, here I am. Resilient in red. But when I open my eyes, I'm still there in that car, clutching onto the seat. That dream felt so far away. I became terrified for my life when I was with him. I thought he'd forget us in the booth of bars. We'd get lost at car shows. We get in a car accident after he was driving too fast. This is, this is so sad, but I started writing notes. Here I am writing notes to people that I loved, people in the car clubs that took care of us, my family and friends. I wrote these notes and then I would fold them up. And then on the front of them, I'd write my name, my address, my allergies, where my nearest relative was and I'd put them in the bottom of my shoes, underneath my socks. In my head, if something bad happened to me and someone found me, the first thing they do is take off my shoe and read this note. <laughs> but, I mean, I had one for me and one for Amber in my shoes. I was terrified. I really thought something bad was going to happen. And then he decided to marry this girl after just a few months and move in with her. This meant all of us. We were going to be one big, happy family under the same roof. By his standards, we'd have a mom again. By ours, 
She would never be our mom. She wasn't like the other girls he had dated. She didn't do our hair or talk with us. She didn't want to see my script for the sound of music I had printed off and memorized backwards and forwards. She didn't want to hear Amber sing or watch her dance. She couldn't be bothered to bat one eye towards us, but she definitely loved to show us how annoying we were to her. I told him from the get-go that I didn't like her. I didn't like how they got drunk together. I didn't like that anything she didn't like had to go. If she didn't like it, it's out. I didn't want him to marry her. And he told me, Don't make it so that I have to choose between her and you because you know my choice won't be you. And that was that. Come moving day, I had nothing packed in my room. I'd been, you know, shoving things in boxes, really grumpy, kind of just like throwing a little pity party for myself. I didn't want to move because my mom was going to come back one day and I wanted her to know where I was. His fiance at the time, came into my room and said, You really haven't packed anything yet? Your dad isn't going to like this. And then walked away. Lo and behold, two seconds later, he walks in my room, he sees the mess, and he slams the door behind him. He asks me, Did she tell you to pack? I say, No, and I don't want to move. I want to stay here. And within blinking seconds... He puts his hand on my collarbone and shoves me to the ground so hard. My head hits the corner of my nightstand, and then he's towering over me as I start to cry. His hand latches onto my neck, and he's choking me. I can't breathe, and he's lecturing me, but I'm not hearing anything he's saying, because there I am, riding myself away into a new reality, dreaming of hugging my mom, telling myself it'll be over soon. I'll either die or he'll let go. That's fucked. That's so fucked that a kid has to think that as their options. Death or he'll let go. And honestly, part of me hoped he wouldn't let go. Not so much to the point that I would, you know, I would die, but just to the point that my aunt, who was helping us move, would come in and scream and call 911 and I'd be so hurt that I'd have to go to the hospital And then while I'm there, some really nice lady doctor would be like, oh, we're going to take care of you now. You don't have to worry about him anymore. My dad let go, shoved me one more time onto the floor, and walked out of my room. That night, I had told one of the girls my dad had had a fling with from his car club. She told me to call the police, tell someone at school. I got to school the next morning, and she had already called. I'm sitting in my counselor's office with my counselor and a police officer. My counselor seems like there's, like, ten hundred other places in the world that she'd rather be than in there listening to me. She looks to me and says, So your dad choked you on the ground yesterday and shoved you, but you seem fine. Which, of course, I'm like, okay, maybe I'm just good at hiding at this point, lady, the fuck? And then she says, If what you're saying is true, you would have bruises on your body which is what this police officer is here to check. If you want, this police officer will watch you strip down all your clothes and take pictures of every bruise you have so they can send it to CPS. She made it seem like I was in in trouble for coming to her with the truth, like it was my fault all over again. And then, to top it off, this bitch says, You know, 
You could have just packed your room like you were supposed to. I don't even have the energy to tell you how fucked the school was in both Amber and me coming to tell them the truth. They didn't believe us. They didn't want to get CPS involved. And then they swore to secrecy between just us and the counselor. And then proceeded to call our dad to tell him what we had said about him. Which caused us more trouble. This counselor still works at the school. And I hope that she's had more training. I hope all school counselors have had more training when it comes to a child telling them their stories. Because because I lost all trust in my school system that day. Never again would I feel safe enough to talk to an adult about a problem at home because they took that away from me. Not only that, but the police too, who hardly did anything for us. Hashtag defund the police, am I right? I've had to call the police for my stepmom twice because the fighting got so out of hand between her and my dad. One night, he had taken our half-brother and hid him from her so she couldn't leave the house. And then just like with my mom, he took her clothes and started just throwing them out. There were so many loud noises, smacks, bangs, and crashes. I I snuck into my sister's closet and I called the police with my cell phone, who came to the house, told my dad I had called from inside the house, and then tried to pry me out of the closet. They didn't do anything for him. Maybe they gave him a big lecture in the front yard, but other than that, nothing. Even with proof that there were bruises. Nothing. Which leads me to one of the hardest stories to tell, which is the night that made me leave his house. I had had an agreement with my mom, so this is this is like way after she got out of jail. I had an agreement that because she paid for my phone, if my dad ever tried to take it from me, I was allowed to say no and stand up to him. This wasn't petty bullshit or anything like that. It was just because she knew how bad that house got at times and she always, she wanted to be able to communicate with us. In this huge rage, he stormed into my bedroom this one night demanding my phone and like out of a movie or something I took every ounce of courage from my body and said no I had actually hidden my phone in my bra just so that he couldn't find it he just stared at me for a long time after I told him no with this look in his eyes and then I was on the ground He had smacked the shit out of me. A lot of this night is kind of repressed in my memories because it's just so hard to remember. It's so hard to go back there. It's like, it's like when they send Eleven into the Upside Down, knowing how dangerous it is for her to go back there. Am I really comparing myself to Eleven, the badass girl with superpowers? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) I may not be able to flip vans or, like, kill monsters with my mind, but I've got some pretty badass superpowers of my own, too, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) But, yeah, so my dad was dragging me around the carpet of my room 
by my arm, smacking me, beating me up, really. That's what it was, beating me up. And I mean, like, so hard, the bruises were instant. He kept telling me to stand up so he could get another punch, or another pull, or grab, or choke. I maneuvered myself on the ground in a way that I was... It's kind of hard to explain without you knowing what my room looked like, but I... It was so that I could hang on to the bottom of my bed frame. And I... My hands started bleeding because of how tightly I was hanging on as he tried pulling me and yanking me and twisting my arm. Here's the sickening part. My stepmom stood in the doorframe of my bedroom. Another parallel to when Amber and I stood in the doorframe of my room watching it happen to my mom. She stood there and watched every single second. And at one point I looked at her and said, You really aren't going to do anything? You're not going to help me? I called the police for you and you won't even do the same for me. But she didn't say anything. She just kept watching. I packed less than a full bag of my stuff and I left his house. That was five years ago. After leaving his side of the family, my grandma, my uncle, my cousins, my grandpa, they all cut me off. Even though I had told them prior to leaving that I would be leaving, and I told them every detail about a lot of the abuse, they told everyone I was lying. I had made it up. Even though weeks before, they were urging me to come live with them. But I just wanted attention. I hadn't told anyone, really, anything. After the counselor and the police and my own family and all these adults not doing anything about it, I always felt like no one would believe me. In all honesty, I didn't know if I wanted to talk about this because it's kind of public knowledge at this point. A year after I left his house, I was having just like this breakdown in my living room, crying and crying and wondering why on earth I wasn't good enough for him. And I had an idea. So I wrote... I wrote it all out in this blog I made. I attached pictures, and then I clicked publish to Facebook, to Twitter, to Instagram. And then I went to sleep. I woke up the next morning to over 400 views on this blog. The next morning, 400 views, detailing a lot of what I went through. People were commenting. People were texting me. I had no idea. You're so strong. This is amazing. Everyone needs to read this. I love you. Suddenly, the world saw me. Oh my god, I just realized I'm so much like Dear Evan Hansen right now. Like, I've said multiple times that things that I've done have been so close to what Dear Evan Hansen did. I got views on that blog from all over the world. People were telling me it changed their life. If I could do it, so could they. But that's where my mistake for this episode comes in. So when I was writing that blog, I went and found the pictures of my bruises and stuff I had taken with my phone after, like, the beatings. I looked at the three pictures and I thought, no one's going to believe you. This isn't enough proof. It wasn't enough proof for anybody. Nobody is going to believe you. Because in my eyes, why would they? 
here I am writing the most intimate thing I've ever written for the whole entire world to see. Yet my own blood didn't believe me. Everyone who was supposed to help me failed me. My pictures wouldn't be enough for people to believe me. So I found three more pictures online, similar skin tones, similar bruises, and I put them in my blog. I used those pictures alongside my own. My whole life, everyone always made me feel like my situation wasn't bad enough. Those bruises weren't bad enough. And I'm not saying that it's an excuse by any means. It's fucked that I even... I tried to pass someone else's pain as my own in what was supposed to be an honest and vulnerable space. I lied. I lied to over 400 people. Of course, not in my words. My words were completely 100% honest. But in those pictures. I've since then taken those pictures off the blog so that the only ones that exist now are my own. If you went and looked at that blog right now, it's only my pictures. And if people see those and think, this isn't enough proof, this isn't bad enough, then I'm okay with that now. I'm okay if people don't believe me. I'm not here to prove myself to anyone. I know what I say is a thousand percent honesty now because I've learned since then. This isn't, this isn't a competition to see whose life is harder, who's been through the most. We all have our shit that we have to get through in life. Is it fair sometimes? No, never. But we get through it and that's what makes us human. I haven't talked to my dad since I left, five years ago. I sent him and my grandma both a text message after I did, telling them that I love them and will always love them. And to this day, they still haven't responded. It's hard. It's really hard some days. Father's Day? Fuck it. Why even get out of bed, honestly? (laughs) Holidays without them? Tough at first, but you kind of get used to it. There are times that are much harder than others, when you don't expect them to be, if that makes sense. I'll give you an example. So, Amber still goes back and forth between our parents. She still has a relationship with our dad, even after getting her own picture collection of bruises. Sad. About a year or so ago, Amber was driving on the highway when someone hit her truck and drove off, left her in a hit and run. Her truck stalled in the fast lane. People were honking at her and swerving around her. She was alone and scared and crying. So she called her dad. (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't know why it affects me so much, that story. It's what dads do. Our dad, within seconds, was racing to his car. (laughs) And he, he hauled ass to get to her. A 15 to 20 minute drive turned into a 5 minute drive because he was coming to rescue his daughter. I was at work delivering pizzas and I had to pull over in the middle of a delivery. Sorry to whoever that was, but I had to pull over because I was crying so hard. There are some days that I don't understand. I don't understand why it's so different for us. And maybe... 
maybe my naive self is right. Maybe he resents me now because of making him miss his dad's death. Or maybe he doesn't like that I have this ability to speak out. I just remember thinking, this is so metaphorical. Because I wanted him to rescue me from this this car accident that has been my life, you know? And, and for Amber, he doesn't think twice. He'll get there within five minutes, but for me... For me, it's always like he won't even get in the car. He won't even pick up his keys. A while ago, Amber left his house too. And remember how I said he never answered my text after I left? How he's never tried to reach out to me after I left? Well, when Amber left, he reached out to her. He apologized. He asked her to come back but not with me. I used to have so much daily hatred for myself because I resorted back to my younger self. You know, the little girl who tried so hard to be just like her dad. And if he hates me, it would only be right for me to hate me too, right? He'll dance with Amber at her wedding. He was at her graduation. He came to rescue her from her car accident. Oh, yikes. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Woo! I'm, like, crying by myself in my blacked-out car and 94-degree weather. I hope nobody sees me right now. You know what? They can see me. I don't care. If somebody came up to me and was like, Oh, my God, why are you crying? I'd be like, Oh, it's for it's for the art. <laughs> it's for the podcast. You should listen. <sighs> and it's funny because as much as I've tried to not be like my dad in my recent years, I am exactly like him. I have his sense of direction. I look just like him. Just like him. Like, my mom used to joke that he was the one who gave birth to me. <laughs> I have his temper, his impatience. I never had an ounce of understanding for my dad until the day I looked in the mirror and realized I was just like him. Back when I used to have like those horrible yelling matches with my mom and treat people like shit, when I would get wasted and drive my car, when I wouldn't care how my actions affected other people. I've been to therapy. I've worked a lot of my stuff out now. Hey. But that's a, it's a daily thing, though. Some days I wake up and I think, well, today we're going to have to work twice as hard to not be our dad. <laughs> this is so embarrassing. But okay, this happened just last week. I got my car detailed. $26, pretty good deal. They did the inside and the outside. I drive off afterwards and I go to Kohl's because I was going to go buy a dress for Amber's graduation. When I get out of the car, there are water spots all over my car, even though they wiped it down with rags. And so there I am in the Coles parking lot with a towel, wiping down my car like a maniac, going 300 miles an hour, balls to the wall, getting these spots off. 
and I'm cussing under my breath, and I'm scrubbing down my car like, I'm gonna go back there and tell them to give me a fucking refund. Why did I pay for them to do a shitty job when I could have just done it myself? Like, a literal psycho. And I just stopped mid-balls-to-the-wall scrub, and I was like, Taylor, you are just like your father. He used to make us scrub his car with microfiber cloths after a car wash until his car was perfect. And there I was doing the exact same thing. I told myself, you will not be going back there and yelling at anyone for anything because you are not your father. It's literally so embarrassing to admit that out loud. (laughs) We like to think we're so much better than our parents. And then we end up being just like them in almost every way. So there's that. Um, (laughs) Thanks for listening to me cry about my dad for however long it's been now. I would just also like to point out that even though it is very painful sometimes to have, I hate calling them daddy issues, but that's what they are daddy issues. As painful as it is sometimes, I am very grateful for for Dax, for showing me that not all men are like my dad, and they're not going to hurt you, and they are just going to love you and appreciate you for who you are, and he has been the best surrogate father I could have ever asked for. So, Dax, if you're listening to this, love you so much. Oh, can I tell a funny story real quick? You know, since we spent the since we spent the majority of this episode in the dark and twisties. Okay, so I can't stop thinking about how funny this is. So, my sister Amber, she just turned eighteen. I physically cannot accept the fact that she is that old already. And I was actually kind of sad. Amber was my first best friend, my first playmate, my first partner in crime. She's 18 now, making her own choices. I can't protect her anymore. It's all on her, and that's such a mind fuck, but but anyways, I got her a MacBook. Yes me, the best sister in the world. I got her a MacBook. (laughs) I got her a MacBook like a month ahead of her birthday, but I still wanted to get her a card to, you know, like open at her party. Well, since I was already feeling sad about the fact that she is old, which also makes me old, um, I didn't want to get one of those, (laughs) those cards that's like, you were born on a sunny day back in 2002, and I have had the privilege of loving you every second since then. (laughs) Blah, blah, blah. You know, one of those, like, cheesy cards. So, I sought out to find her the funniest card I could find. And I'm in Spencer's one day, and I find it. I actually laughed out loud in the store when I read it. The front of the card said, you came out of a vagina today. And then on the inside, it said, gross. (laughs) I can't tell you how hard I laughed in this card. I laughed like any time I thought about it on the way home. So I get home and I tell my mom that, you know, 
I'm a comedic genius and I'm going to be on SNL one day because I'm just so funny. <laughs> and I show her the card. She kind of smiles and then she says, that's, yeah, that's funny, but it's not true. And then it fucking hit me. Amber didn't come out of a vagina 18 years ago because my mom had a C-section. <laughs> there weren't any, you got cut out of a stomach today cards. So like, <laughs> what was I going to do? Amber, Amber thought it was funny when she opened it at her party, but still was like, mm, yeah, actually I didn't. So, so there's, um, one more mistake I made to end the episode with. Oh, also, okay. So I'll tell you another really funny story. This is really exposing myself though. It's not, it's just like, it shows you how stupid I am sometimes. So I told you that I worked at this new place and it's really fun and I really love all of the people that I work with. Well, I know that we have a thing for guys here and how I don't really get the little crushies, but I do have one for one of my coworkers. <laughs> He is really cute, and he has really pretty eyes, and he makes me very nervous anytime I see him, but I try to banter with him as much as I can. I try to, like, kind of subtly show that I'm flirting with him, but, like, not to the point that he'll be like, oh, are you flirting with me? And then, you know, you know, anyway, so, <laughs> this is so embarrassing. So this one day, I'm, like, really feeling myself. So I'm just, like, walking out of the store, like, ooh, look at me. And I get in my car, and then he gets in his car that is parked right next to me. And I'm sitting there, like, I'm so cool. Like, he's going to roll down his window and, like, want to talk to me real quick. And right before I put my car in reverse, he rolls down his window. So I'm like, oh, my God, he wants to talk to me. <laughs> and then I go to hit the button for the window to roll down. And instead of it being my front window, it's my back window, my back passenger's window. And he, like, looked back and was like, uh, and I was like, oh, shit. And I, like, rolled it up and then I rolled down the other one. And I was like, oh, hey, what's up? <laughs> I'm so cringy. Okay. Anyways. Whew. I'm glad we could end this episode on a laugh because that was really, um, a lot for me. I love you all very much. Thank you so much for listening to all of these. I will talk to you next week. And I would just like to say thank you so much for the response that I'm getting. Like, I don't have like 2 million followers or anything, but like the people who are listening, I, they will like live text me while they're listening and it just makes my day. So thank you so much for all of you that are listening, wherever you are in the world. I have some views in Australia and, like, Japan and views, whatever. I have some listens in Japan and Australia. And um, I think there was one in Africa and one in England. And I was like, who? Like, I'm literally like, who is this? So thank you guys so much for listening. Old as she was, she still missed her daddy sometimes. Gloria Naylor. <laughs>